Hey everybody, it's John. Welcome back to The Hustle. As always, The Hustle is dedicated to telling the stories that don't get told very often from artists who deserve more attention. And this week, we are very happy to have John Pasden as a guest. John was a founding member of two of the most important and excellent power pop bands in history. The first being Pez Band, which he helped form in the early 70s. He actually left before they even put out their debut album, although he would return to them later. And then he and Cliff Johnson, who was the lead singer, they went on in the late 70s to form another excellent band called Off-Broadway. And John did stick around to do the debut Off-Broadway record, which is awesome. And then he left that too. And he kind of bounced around. In the 80s, he formed another band, which was new to me, called Big Guitars from Memphis. And they're more of like a kind of a cowboy punk, rockabilly, Jason and the Scorchers type band. The way that he's mostly made his living, though, for the last 20, 30 years is sort of as like a hired hand. He's basically a contractor. He writes and performs and composes and arranges music for various media outlets, whether that be instructional videos, documentaries, whatever. I, I'll be honest with you, John is a wonderfully entertaining, outspoken, opinionated guy. He makes for excellent interview. He tells some incredible stories in here, one involving playing for President Obama, another one about the time he backed up Chuck Berry and what a nightmare that was. This guy is super entertaining. I hope you like it. I think he's fascinating. He called me from his home in Chicago. You told me all this cool stuff that you continue to do. That's what I want to know because that's how you maintain your relevancy. You know, that's how you still do it. So that's, that's right. exactly the kind of thing that I want to talk about. Well, um, the, the other thing that, that, I mean, mostly, and I'm sure you found this out after you've been talking to a lot of people, with a few exceptions like Paul Collins or you know, I, I, I could name him, Dwight is another example. Um, uh, most people do do not do this. I mean, they're, or they, they, mm. they really did quit it in, in the late 70s or early mm. 80s. Uh, people of my generation, I mean, it, it, it goes into other – time zones and everything else because we're bumping into people that that went through what i went through in in the aughts you know mm -hmm, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. hey he's right. 42 you know i was like what yeah. are you doing but yeah. a lot of these people just shifted into not even lateral careers really i mean they just went oh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna sell uh insurance mm -hmm. or i'm gonna yeah. something not even necessarily a lateral uh career right but just something like you know, maybe the wife got sick of looking. I, who knows what mm -hmm. <laughs> reason it was for? But sure. that's, that's that's a real point here. And and I the only reason I bring that up is that lately, and I say lately, like the last five years or maybe ten years, I mean, it's been going on for a lot while. You'll see like um, what I call the bands that are like two dog night. You know, it's like mm -hmm. missing a guy or mm -hmm. something. And, yeah. And the rest of the people in the band, they might be the original people, but, you know, these guys haven't picked up a drumstick in, like, yeah. 20 years. And I'm sorry. It's like, you know, yeah. like, you got to – if you're going to be a musician, like, you got to practice, you know. Right, right. <laughs> you, you can't just come back and – I mean, unless you're going to play, like, one Saturday afternoon at the farmer's mm -hmm. picnic or something. That's, exactly. that's different. But, but not if you're going to – I mean, some of these people are coming back, man, and they're making, like, like – real money they're playing yeah. these weird casinos and shit and these people aren't musicians i mean they're, they're yeah. it's it's weird it's it's all watered it down you know it is 
it's yeah. uh, and that's why I thought this was a fascinating topic for a podcast because I it's so fascinating to me to find out what people do, you know, to to keep going. And some of yep. them, like um, I talked to this one guy. Uh, it was around your same time, actually, a band out of Cleveland in the same exact period as Off Broadway called Love Affair, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, their lead singer was this guy named Rich Spina. And he, the Love Affair really never got off the ground. He did a couple other bands that never, they never really got off the ground either. And mm-hmm. for the last, like, 20 years, well, yeah, 20, in the 90s, he got a job with Gary Lewis and the Playboys sure. as, like, a sideman. And now he plays with Herman's Hermits. And so I thought, how interesting is that, that here, you know, you, and you and I will talk about this too, but when you're a young kid, I'm not a musician, but I assume you guys who are, grow up with these dreams of like rock and roll stardom and putting your music out there and, and living the dream. And this in this guy's case, he was a front man. And then it never worked out. And now he plays the keyboard. He's the keys for Herman's Hermits. And that kind yeah. of transition from, you know, living your, following your path to collecting right. a steady paycheck as a mm-hmm. side guy, is there mm-hmm. some humility involved? Or are you just grateful to still be making a living? You know? Yeah, there's there's a million stories of the naked city here, John. You know, I, like Jesus, man. I mean, some some people. To, it seems to me, some people have been that all their lives. I mean, they they might have been in a band that did something for five minutes or whatever when they're in their twenties, mm-hmm. but their their mindset is like music. They're not artists. Their music is a, is a job. I mean, they're they're you know yeah. they might be commercial artists to really stretch the the. The term, but they're not artists, and and mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I, I, you know, I always think. I mean, it's like, geez, when you started this thing out, like, and then you, as you grow as a as a human being, it's like, well, you want to, you're an artist, you know, you're not a hack. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to do yeah. the best that you can do, and obviously, people do what they have to do to make make a living. But wow, I mean, when I see these bands, it's like I I feel bad. You know, mm. I mean, because <laughs> I, right. I know a lot of these guys. I mean, it's like, well, yeah. you're, you're the, yeah, you know, this guy or mm-hmm. whatever. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I feel bad for him. And, and that's probably the hardest thing to do is like to maintain integrity as, as yeah. an artist, you know, a human being and an artist and, and a musician. Yeah. Last, you know, but that's, that's all I'm saying is it's, it's, yeah. it's not easy to do. And you don't make a lot of go at it either. So I agree. Yeah. Um, I actually like where this is going. So why don't we just keep talking and I'll edit it appropriately. I, yeah, um, I, um, you know, I, I always kind of kick these things off with an explanation of how I discovered the band that I'm mm-hmm. talking to. And you, I discovered the exact same way that I discovered Love Affair, who we were just talking about. So I was looking up an obscure song on YouTube, because mm-hmm. this was about four or five years ago, because um, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I found it. And I and the person who posted the song, I thought, well, let's see what other things this person has posted. And it was it's changed my life really because it it's hundreds of these, uh, and they're just homemade little clips. It's basically the album cover with the music playing, but it's um, uh, all of these bands of of off Broadway's ilk in the late '70s, early '80s that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And I I happen to think I know a lot about music, but th- there is clearly it opened up an entire world of music that I had no idea about. And I'm li- and off Broadway were one of the bands that I discovered in that person, whoever they are's playlist mm-hmm. that I was really taken with. And and I listen to this and I'm just thinking again, where are these people? Why are they not huge? 
Why did other bands that sound similar to them get big and off-Broadway remain a cult? How, where are these people now? And that's what I want to know. And so yeah. I track you guys down because I think you're incredible. And then, so let's start from the beginning. You mentioned, you've been telling me about pe- starting Pez Band, too, for crying out loud. You're like right. a power pop god. So when you go back to the late 60s, early 70s, you're a kid, you want to write music. Do you just have stars in your eyes? Do you just want to be a rock star? What's motivating you? Um, the people in Pez Band all went to the same high school. We, we grew up in this uh, suburb of Chicago called uh, Oak Park. Mm-hmm. And... Dimitri, or Mimi Patinas and I started the band, and we we just we kind of found we were outliers in this town mm-hmm. of Oak Park, um, which is a very well-heeled, very straight uh, suburb, and we were not well-heeled or straight, so <laughs> we, <laughs> we started this band sort of you know because we were outliers in the town, and and we found that we both really liked um, blues music because Chicago blues, I mean, it was mm-hmm. the greatest time to be in Chicago. You could get on the, the train and be at, you know, go see Howlin' Wolf in 10 minutes um, wow. in the clubs. And mm-hmm. we also liked the, the English guys that imitated the Chicago blues guys. So we really liked Jeff Beck. We really, wow. really liked uh, Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac when uh, Peter Green was in the group. Peter Green era, like yeah. Blues man. So that's kind of how we, we really started playing. We were both like, wow, you know, these guys like have blues and they're loud and you know it, huh. it's it's cool and and there was a record store in Oak Park uh, and it's still there Val's Holla High Val wherever you are oh. I hope you're listening to this um, <laughs> and she was she was like ten years older than we were and she was like our uh, she was like the matriarch of this whole thing and there's huh. a lot of bands that have come out of her store and I, I mean I'll, I'll send you a list sometime you'd be really amazed because oh, the list it. goes on for forty five years oh um, oh. And Evan. she's, you know, I, I just saw her two weeks ago. So she's still at the shop. Still anyway, out there. Great. She, you know, Park at the time, it, it was really square. This is like 67, 68. And music like The Who, uh, John Mayle with Eric uh-huh. Clapton, uh, Beck's first albums, and then Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. Like, you couldn't go into Sears and buy these records, right? I mean, yeah. they, they didn't exist. So you right. had a, so we went into her store and she hipped us to the whole thing. I mean, and and she's a big as big a part of this whole thing as anybody wow. else. Wow. So I, I have. Well, now yeah. let me ask you something. First of all, that's awesome, and and that's the. I mean, let's be honest. That's the sad story of music stores going away. Is oh yeah. Those days spent flip, you know, flipping through the racks. Or, or having someone in the store, like, like yeah. I mean, Influence, I came in yeah. there, honest to God, I came in there looking for a Cream album, and so I'm like 16, right? And, yeah. and I'm like all cocky and shit, and here's this woman, you know, behind the counter, and she goes, oh, we're looking for, I said, well, Cream, you know. And and she goes, oh, yeah, there, it's right over here. And first of all, I'd never seen a Cream album, you know. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, you have this in the store? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right. and then she goes, now, now dig this, John. She goes, she said, so you really like this album? What, what songs do you like on this album, right? She's talking to uh-huh. me about this. And I go, uh-huh. well, I really like this album, uh, Spoonful, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, oh, yeah, well, well, come on over here with me. And she leads me over, and which was the beginning of the slippery slope. She leads oh, me yeah. over to the section that says blues. She goes, here, here's the guy that did this first and pulls out the Powell and Wolf album. Diamond. Could be a spoonful of gold. 
On the yeah. back of this man, what's what's this all about? And, and she goes, "Yeah, this is the guy that did it." And if you want to hear him, just go across the street, get on the L. The L train is like the local, you know, metro uh-huh. in Chicago. Sure. Yeah. Just, just get on that and get off at the next eight stops, and he's playing there tonight. So imagine oh that. Just imagine that. You know. Oh my gosh. Well, that's, that's how it works. Those are the influential <laughs> moments for young people, especially. Yeah. Like those those are life changers right there. I mean, yeah, it's, not, the, not it's the, the older not brother the, bestowing their yes. music collection to you. Yep. It's people like this. Oh, those well, are the moments and, that change our and, lives. And I always get that this thing of people our age, you know, like going, oh, the first time I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, it was mm-hmm. like, I could care less about the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. I, I would have rather seen The Who, you know, on, right. Right. <laughs> or, or I would have rather seen Muddy Waters or something like that. That's what was important to me wow. and, and uh, Mimi as well and the rest of the yeah. rats that eventually made up. Uh, oh, that's great. When I was in high school, and this was uh, the late 80s, I worked in a music land. And I hmm. remember to this day, um, this kid came in, and it was, <laughs> he was buying a Maxi Priest cassette. Maxi uh, Priest is kind of a, yeah, a little know, bit man. reggae. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. a little reggae. And he was like, do you have any other kind of reggae-type things? And I was <laughs> like, look, um, before you listen to reggae, you need to go back and listen to Why don't we start with some ska? And I sold him the first Specials album. And cool. I have no idea if it, if it did anything to this kid's life, but it's always mm-hmm. made me feel good that yeah. I turned one kid on to the, fir- to the debut Specials album. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's probably and, unlike anything else in his collection, but hopefully he went home and thought this is pretty amazing. And then by the time the 70s rolled around, or so it seemed to me, like there, there were those weird guys in the store that were like, like – record mm-hmm. snob mm-hmm. guys, you know, and like yeah. my wife always brings that up. She grew up in, in Champaign or Bannon yeah. at the University of Illinois and she's like, Well I used right. to go in there and the guys would be there in these silk baseball jackets and they want to sell uh, me Judas Priest albums and she was like, No, I don't want to hear this shit and then they would look down on her like, Oh, you don't know what's right. Yeah. Whereas Val, see like Val like Val wasn't it like was that love. man. She was, <laughs> she was, she was inclusive. a mentor. Not a she was a mentor. That's she was huge. Yes. Huge. She was inclusive right. and she still is. Very to this cool. day she still is. That's great. Well, look, let me, you know, you talking about the blues influences, when I mm-hmm. think about power pop, I mean, I mean, I don't think of power pop as a direct sort of uh, uh, opposite necessarily of blues. I know it's more prog and things like that, but I, I mean, blues to me is a lot of, you know, guitar noodling and kind of long solos and breaking it down. And, but power pop to me is like short, concise, knock it all out in three minutes. I mean, I'm surprised to hear what an influence and uh, how impactful blues music was to you, considering you're like this power pop legend. Well, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, 
first of all, like, you know, you got to remember that blues records themselves, when they came out on chess, for example, were mm-hmm. only like two and a half minutes long, and there weren't Good long point. solos yeah. at all. Yeah. And number and I two. I, chess yeah. is from Chicago, too. So, of course, you're right oh. there. Yeah, man. Them. I mean, that, okay, yeah, that I was it. I mean, like that. I said, like like you could got on the L train on the on the yeah. local metro train and there's muddy wa- I mean muddy waters yeah yeah right there so anyway yeah the, I forgot the, about that the little blues records and if you listen to them there might be like a twelve bar solo but that's it there's no noodling on these records True. Okay. when the English guys started because just because they were on forty fives right I mean there there was no time for noodling that's it. so yeah. when the English guys started copying all this stuff I mean they opened it up obviously because uh-huh. at the same time things. You also got to consider. I mean, to me, the only pop, power pop band that really matters is the Who, and mm-hmm. that's and that's the definition of power pop to me now. Like the Who, when they started out, they were man. I mean, they were doing like James Brown tunes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you yeah. listen to to their influences, it, it was heavily yeah. like that. There was no noodling it in. No, you're in right. The maximum R and B, right? Maximum R and B, baby. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's what it, it was. So. Yeah. There's the story of, you know, how Power Pop, the, the name Power Pop came about. Yeah. Because, you know, you had um, um, the BBC and yeah. you had BB3. And you, you couldn't, it was either like classical music or it was everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's like, and they called everything else pop music. So there right. was like really dreadful, I mean, there was like Acker Bilk and Dixieland and all sorts of <laughs> weird shit right. on, on, that, on that side of it. Yeah. So they're interviewing Pete Townsend, you know, and it's on YouTube, and it's a great interview. You know, the guys are going, "Well, so, so you play pop?" And he goes, "He goes, yeah, pop." And then he thinks, and he's like really high, I think, in this interview. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just guessing, <laughs> but right. he he, uh, he goes, "We play pop, pop, power pop." You know, like, yeah. like we're, we're not Acker Bilk. We play power pop, and that was like there that's it is. It. That's the that's who. It. It's Yeah, you're right. You know, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It really was. Because when I think about blues, influential blues of, I say our generation, you're older than me, but I'm saying like the modern rock era. Yeah. I do think about, you know, Clapton going on for 10 minutes or whatever and Crossroads festivals and stuff like that. But you're right. When you boil it down to its essence, it really is those two to three minute songs getting it out there, rough and dirty. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. It's dance music. It's, it's, yeah. Everybody always forgets this. It's like it's you know like to me rock concerts like an oxymoron. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, dance music. Yes. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. So let me ask you this. I mean, this is ahead, something that I I asked um, another recent guest of mine who's also power pop guy. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you? Why do you think power pop remains so marginalized? Because to me, oh. it's like the perfect music. It's everything you want in a short package nailing it in three minutes. But for whatever reason, it remains this subgenre, and yeah. it remains a cult. Now, I'll tell you, after you answer this, I'll tell you what Dom Mariani, who's an Australian power pop legend, cult legend too, I'll tell you what he said and what Paul Collins to some degree said. But you, what do you think the answer to that is? I, yeah, I, I don't know. First of all, I don't know if it exactly is a cult as much as any music right now is a cult. You know, yeah, you're like, right. It's also like subdivided, not, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's so subdivided, subdivided on subdivided. So there's there's how yeah. many kinds of power pop are there? There's man, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And and like we were talking or we were emailing back and forth today about the bands that play mm-hmm. at uh, that played at Bell House, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that 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 those two 
nights were for uh, Trouser Press for the, the uh, yeah. university, which is no longer there, but for Trouser Press. So, I mean, if you listen to Dwight, and I I, I love Dwight, you know, and, and mm-hmm. like I said, Rodney Flint was playing bass. It was, it was like great, and those guys were tremendous. But when Pez Band comes up as a trio, I mean, we kind of sound like more like the Yardbirds, or you know, mm-hmm. we have kind of like a blues bass mm-hmm. pushing thing That's behind true. us. So I don't know if this this you know that marginalized thing might be the the result of too much subdivision. Huh? What do you think yeah. about that? There's a, there's a new theory. Too much categorization, <laughs> yeah. Well, it is yeah. it's media categorization, right? I mean, where do we yeah. file this? How do we? And and what you're saying is very true. Um, Paul Collins in our interview said something similar, and Dom Mariani did too. To, to them, it's just rock music. This is yep. just rock and roll. Um, and Jeff Murphy to some degree too with shoes. It's just mm-hmm. rock and roll as we hear it. You, mm-hmm. It's everyone else who calls it what they call it, and they label it power pop. Paul Collins had to really, it took him a long time to kind of come to terms with that, and yeah. now he now he, he brands himself that way. It's like, fine, if you're going to put me in this box, I'm going to be the king of the box, and I'm going to yeah. go out, and I'm, you know what I mean? And yeah. right or wrong, but that's how, he, that's how he makes a living. It's like, okay, I'm just going to play up this genre, uh, as best I can. So right, right. It's and too bad what, that it remains so marginalized. I think, though. Well, another weird thing that's happened to it is that, and I really, has been played in Japan a couple of years ago. We played in Tokyo and Kyoto and Sapporo. And one thing, I, I looked at the audience, and there's really, except for one night in in Kyoto, there was nobody over thirty in the club. Now these people are like. Packed to the front of the stage, and Paul Collins has seen this. Ronnie Flint from sure. twenty. I mean, we've all seen the same thing. It's people all have the albums and stuff. You know, they're all like they're singing along to the tunes. And this is this is like really strange to me. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Just, that doesn't wow. happen here. And sure. I talked to a guy at length about this. You know, we got to know some people and traveling with them, and he said, "Well, what 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 is this all about, man?" And he goes, "Well." This this is the result of, of there was a resurgence around the turn of the century um, where people just all of a sudden discovered this through the English bands and these guys mm. were in high school were the pe- high school age of the people that discovered it right so them discovering like you know Pez band for example or Off Broadway or whatever 2020 was mm-hmm. the same thing as people who were in high school when we were playing, except it's been time shifted like 30 yeah. years. Yeah, I know what you, you know mean. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So these guys, these guys are out, they have like beetle hairdos and shit. And, you know, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're doing the whole, like, you it's know, new to them, right? Yes. This is new, yes. fresh stuff to them. Whereas yeah. you lived through it the first time, you know? Yeah. And they yeah. can dress up, they can dress up like this, you know, they can, they, they can do all the, the, the stuff that, you know, is it's silly to me. I mean, it, it's, yeah. not, it's silly. That's, that's the wrong word, but, it, it's not certainly something I would try to do. And when I look at people my age, God, trying to do that with, a, you know, like weird mm-hmm. wigs and dyed black hair, it's like, this is embarrassing, man. I'm sorry. You know, like <laughs> people, used to, people used to laugh at Elvis for doing that shit. And he was only yeah. in his 40s, you know, yeah. you're in your 60s and pulling this nonsense. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's my side opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now, so let's go back. Okay, so, yep. so Pez Band begins in the early 70s. Right. And you leave, and then it's, what, like five, six years later, off Broadway starts getting some traction. Why did you leave, and what did you do in that area, or what um, in that span? Yeah. Okay. So when I when we started Pesman, I was playing um, guitar and piano, and I oh. was not playing playing bass. And okay. 
you have to kind of put it in a perspective of what was going on in the early 70s. It was the beginning of the, the New York invasion um, mm. uh, of bands like New York Dolls, and there were a lot of New York Doll clones. This was called – it used to be called Flash, and then it was called Glitter Rock. But there was a really mm. embarrassing moment where, where you know, people in their, men in their 20s were dressing up as women and pretending they were transvestites mm-hmm. to sing mm-hmm. rock music. And I sure. really didn't want to do that. So I said, well, and I was listening to a lot of different kinds of music. I was listening to uh, Miles Davis and, and Early oh, Weather wow. Report and Marvin Gaye, and I was listening to Af- great African-American music, R&B yeah. and jazz. And the only instrument that really spoke to me at that time was bass. So I said, mm-hmm. you know what, I, I don't want to be a half-assed guitar player here dressing up like you know, like I'm in the Spiders from Mars or whatever the right. shtick was at the time. Right. And I just said, screw it. And I and I I... You know, I got rid of my guitar. I joined a band of brothers on the south side where I was the only um, non-African-American person in the band, and I, and I learned by the seat of my pants. And I played that kind of music for about five years, mm-hmm. um, doing that, because I, it spoke to me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm a, I, I like to play music, and I learned during that time about the difference between being a, you know, a, a person who's not an artist and a... a mm-hmm. You know, uh, someone who actually is an artist, and, and sure. I think and I carry that forward. Yeah. So I did that for a while, and I mean, I played all sorts of weird stuff, and and with different people. I mean, some fairly fairly big people in Chicago at the time. I played with blues guys, the real blues guys who were still you know old enough to uh, hadn't died off yet. Mm-hmm. And and then after about five years of that, I was like, well, okay, I've come about as far as I, you know, I've apprenticed myself and I don't really want to be a jazz bass player. So I think maybe I'll get back into playing rock because at that time, punk had just came out, come out and, mm-hmm. and there was like a lot of African-American influence in new music. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When off broad, when we started off Broadway, um, there was a, off Broadway was not the band that is on the first album. When we started out, it was, it was, a, it was a lot different. Oh really? Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, you were just talking about Maxi Priest. I mean, we used to, <laughs> we used to, we used to do a, reg, a great reggae version of Jealous Guy. Um, oh really? So, so if you can great. imagine on Broadway doing that, and we and we wow. also did Freedom Jazz Dance. You know, the the great uh, Freddie Hubbard has done it. Miles has done it. You know, we did an instrumental where the, where the rock singer in the band at the time went went off and he had a drink at the bar. But we were like like doing it. Eventually, then the band like. You know, since we had the the thing that was tight with um, Cheap Tricks manager, kind of turned mm-hmm. into what it didn't want to be originally, which was uh, like a, a big a big rock band. You know, I don't I don't mm-hmm. like big rock bands, but anyway, that's how it worked. Okay, okay. It's in the book. There's a new but there's a book coming out. Heroes of Power Pop. Yeah, is that Ken Sharp's book? Ken Sharp has a new edition of that. It's like volume yeah. four, nineteen, or something. We're in the off Broadway is in that. Oh uh, really? It's supposed, it's Jeff supposed to come out like mention that. Yeah, okay. Jeff and I, I maybe that was even Jeff and I talked back in like April, and mm-hmm. he mentioned that as well because I think he's in that as well. Jeff from Shoes. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah. So if if you want to find out, I mean, I, I to buy the book. I mean, I just gave you the nutshell of what happened, but there's there's no. A I gotta read it. Okay. Well, yeah. and I'm not, I mean, I'm interested in the whole genre, not just mm-hmm. you. I mean, that'd be a valuable book to have. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Pez Band and Off-Broadway, aren't their, their de- debut albums are both coming out almost exactly at the same time, right? No, no.
are you sick of being joined at the hip with cheap tricks? I'm you telling me this. I, it reminds me of, um, no offense, a little bit of Kiss and Stars, both being managed by Bill Coin. Are you familiar yeah. with Stars? You know no. what I mean? Like they're the ones who were just as good and didn't quite get over the hump. And I'm wondering if oh, if you feel that way about your career versus cheap trick. Well, you got to remember one thing though that Pezban were contemporaries and people my, our age, you know, even though we're, like I said in the, in the email, I often call it off Pezway because to mm-hmm. me it's like it, it kind of runs <laughs> into the, the same band. Sure. But when Cheap Trick was starting out, um, they, they were in a band that was actually on Epic for one record, I think, and there was a band called Fuse. But mm. when they really started out in the early 70s, they were contemporaries of, of Pez Band. I mean, we played the same club. Oh, uh, good point. Adam Manny yeah. was their manager, and um, he also had a booking agency. Uh, it was all centered in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So he used to book Pezban and Cheap Trick all the time. That's starting in like 71, 72. Mm-hmm. So like, then all of a sudden Cheap Trick just like exploded. I mean, that, 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 that's, that, they, they yeah. just became killers, you know. And, yeah, um, sure. But uh, there was some good stuff. Like I used to get Tom Peterson's old bass amps, you know. Because mm, so, <laughs> nice. I didn't I have any money to buy one. Yeah. Can I, I have this one, Tom? You know? yeah. yeah. And never give them back either. I think I still owe right. them. Oh, nice. <laughs> good. Okay, so there was no hard feelings or anything. You liked Cheap Trick. And, and maybe it's one of those. What is it? The rise boat rises all all tide rises all boats or whatever. I mean, well, if, was, if some attention is going to Cheap Trick, maybe you're you're getting some of that attention as well. Oh, without without a doubt. Except like some of Good. that stuff could have been really leveraged. I mean, because at the time they were about totally. as big as you could be in in uh, in Japan. Yeah. And at the office in Madison, I mean, they get uh, there used to be a lot of fan mail because Robin said one time, you know, oh, our favorite band in the United States is is off Broadway, and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, you know, thousands mm-hmm. of Japanese fans go, who's this? And 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 they go, where's off Broadway? And I was like, yeah, can we go to Japan and play now? Like like, uh, you know, right? Please? What do we got to do? Get us over there. Instead of going to the tractor pull in Rockford, can we go to like Tokyo? Would that be okay? And they never, and he never did it. It's like, why didn't he oh, let? Oh, what, whatever. I, I, that, those are the kind of things that just drive me nuts when I think about yeah. it. You know. Yeah, I bet. So you, I always think I mean, of it as, as no, like, go ahead. You know, we're the middle sister, and it's Marsha, Marsha, yeah. Marsha. You know. Right, right. Do you feel like? I mean, because that's a that's a that's a mismanagement. Is kind of a buzzword that's popped up in yeah. some of the things I've, I've been researching you guys. And yeah. do you feel that way? I mean, do you feel like, you know, there were opportunities there to, uh, to capitalize on a lot more than we did and they were missed? Yes. And yeah. and that's that's twenty twenty hindsight and sure. that's a really dangerous thing to do. But, yes, I mean, all that money, you know, you get all this yeah. money from Atlantic and, and publishing money and everything else, um, the band – had really started to build a solid base in the Midwest and mm-hmm. it should have capitalized that instead all of a sudden the, the group's out like second or third in the bill with UFO and Blackfoot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Ooh, I, I, yeah. I never heard UFO in my right. life until we opened for him. It was like, if, if I were the guy, if I were UFO, I would sue spinal tap. I really would. Because those guys, man, they nick right. their act like, like, right. Anyway, so what was the point of that? You know, like, what? Yeah. Why did you do that? 
And why didn't we yeah. go to Japan if, if there were people that went, oh, you should go to Japan, and, and why did you spend so much money on a tour bus when you, we could? Mm. There's, there's all that stuff, you know? Yeah, but right. But it's 2020. It's, it's right. water. Yeah. So when you're, when you're, when off, I mean, are you feeling like, this is it, I've made it. When off-Broadway gets that first advance, and you're readying the first album, and you've got, you've got a song that doesn't quite crack the, crack the top 40, but it's out there. Are you mm-hmm. starting to think this is the beginning? It's just going up from here. It's just going to get bigger. Um, or were no. you too busy kind of focused on working and everything that you're not really realizing what's going on? Yeah, busy focused on working is a funny phrase because none of us were. We're all like rock stars for 10 minutes there. You know? Okay. And, and uh-huh. I I don't know. It's it's just a weird thing. It, it really went up fast and it really crashed really fast mm. because um, – we went from a band. Off Broadway had never done a demo. How's that for it? We got we really? got all this money for for yeah. It's like we had a great live show. People were going crazy when they went to see us. But and Ken Adamani was the manager, but we never did a demo. So how about that? So how did you even how did you get signed? Was it word of mouth? Oh, you gotta you gotta check out these guys. That's enough. Yes. Or? And then Adam Manny, really? we, we had a manager before Adam Manny, and we were pulling it in. I mean, the manager was was not not the smartest guy. And so we were playing, I mean, we were playing a lot in Chicago, a lot, uh-huh, like two to uh-huh. three nights a week. And people were coming in. They really liked what we were doing. You know, the crowd liked what we were doing. We were really goofy. I mean, there, there was a lot of real strange stuff that we used to do, but hmm. um, well, like we weren't like a normal rock band. It turned into yeah. a normal rock band, but in the beginning it wasn't. And so Adam and he, you know, found out about this, and he knew us. He knew me and Cliff from, uh, you know, Pez Band, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I, these guys are still around, and they're doing this. Oh, it's them. Okay, you know. And then he came and saw us, and then he kind of pulled a fast one on the old manager by telling us mm-hmm. he'd get us a record deal in six months. He knew he could do that. Yeah. So right. I got to hand it to him, John. I mean, it's like, like if he hadn't done that, I, I right. would have never been on Atlantic Records and tapes. You know, I mean, sure. it's like uh, that. That was really good. Yeah, um, yeah. And then people go mismanagement. Well, you know, what, what was it? Was it mismanaged? Yes. Was it mm. people who who didn't have another material for a second album that was worth anything? Yes. I mean, there's mm. a lot of reasons mm. for this stuff. I was going to ask you about that. There, there is kind of a quality drop off on that second off Broadway album. Yeah, it's I not go bad, but a... it's not to the level of the first one. I'm not, I, even though I did it all the way up to when we were going to record it, and I actually found the studio in Chicago to record it at, um, I'm not on that album. I'm not playing on that album. You're not on I the was, second album? No, I was out of the band by Quick then. Turns. Oh, I didn't, oh, okay. So you, now, so before Quick Turns, you leave and do you go back to Pez Band then? Not. Or is there not, a gap I, there too? 
Yeah, there was a gap, and I and I spent some time in Los Angeles. I was going to join a really excellent band um, called Elton Duck, and they're also called the Decoys. If you ever, if you like obscure great power pop bands, yeah, look, look this, I, you'll love. That. I'll send you a, a, something from them. I've only heard the debut Pez Band album, which I think is perfection, as I do the yeah. first off Broadway album. But you sent me the, you were telling me about the YouTube clips, the trio, in more recent years. So I was re, I was watching them, and yeah, it's much more of that blues-based cream influence. Not that it's it still stays within a power pop construct, but there's more going on there. There's more musicianship going on there for sure. Yeah, it's, it, to me, it's like the Who or my favorite Yardbird song happening ten years time ago. It. it it sounds like that to me, or it's got that mm. that that vibe to it, and not the, you know, it's not, it doesn't sound like the shoes, you know, it doesn't yeah. sound like Paul Collins or anything. It's 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 different, you know. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's still power pop, but it's not it's not that. So. so when you look back on your career, so when did? <laughs> 
I'm sorry, it's a long sad story, man. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to piece it all together because I'm okay. thinking. I'm imagining a guy who wants to be a musician, mm-hmm. who is involved in the creation of two bands that uh, maybe they weren't. They weren't as successful as they should have been then, but now, in retrospect, are highly regarded. Yeah. When does the moment come around when you think, you know what, this music thing is not going to happen? I'm not making enough oh. money. I gotta go get a different job, or I gotta do um, something else. Never, never. Um, so that's I, what I want to know. So you've re- you've remained in music all yes. along. That's how yes. you've always paid your bills. You yes. just do it differently than in a band format. I might I might go on it in a you know I I had some lateral movement. So in other words, mm-hmm. in '85 I was an earlier adopter of you know using a computer to write music with, for example. Oh. So I learned how to do that, you know, as I learned how to do everything else, I learned, you know, just by doing it. And you you could actually do that in 85. Um, so uh-huh. I started writing things like that. I started a, huh. um, a, 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 at the same time, I started an alt country group, which was kind of new yeah. at the time. It was right when Steve Earle and Dwight Yoakam came out. The guitar Big player guitars from, up, from Memphis, right? Yes. And that was the guitar player from Off-Broadway, John Ivan, um, oh, was in that with okay. me. And we just said, screw it, you know, we don't, we really don't, we want to figure out, like, how to write, like, a song like Johnny Cash did it. Mm-hmm. And so we we kind of stripped everything down, and um, we did that. And that band was very successful. I mean, played at Good. Wembley and, and tours of Europe and, and record wow. deals in Europe. But you don't really hear about that very much, you know. I mean, no. We I was looking that. for it. It's not on Spotify. I was trying to listen to some. I, it, I don't see it on Spotify or anything. Yeah, I'll I'll send you some more stuff. I mean, <laughs> okay. I'd um, love it all. Yeah, I so we did. Great. John, John and I did that, and then um, I don't know. As the '90s rolled in, I mean, I was I was actually booking a club in Chicago called Lounge Axe, and if you look that mm-hmm. up, um, that became like the '90s alt rock place to be. Or, you know, oh, very was, and, nice. And I was kind of out of there. Uh, the woman that took my place was uh, Susie Tweedy. Or, her name was Susie oh, Miller. Oh, sure. Jeff. Eventually uh, yeah. married Jeff and... Uh, of Yeah. So that club was a, it was kind of like a little dive in Chicago, but it, but it became a real you know hot, hot place. Um, okay. And then I'm writing music at the same time. You know, I'm doing like little stuff and, and I'm trying to develop that. And I, I never wanted to get into writing commercial, like tuna fish commercials or anything. And I uh-huh. never did, thank God. But uh-huh. um, you know, I'm learning how to do this stuff by the seat of my pants. And at the same time, I'm I'm constantly uh, playing with, with different people and, and trying different okay. music. So that's what I've been doing. Okay. So like in the 80s, when you were talking about, um, you know, learning how to write music on a computer is um are you paying your bills by performing in you know big guitars from Memphis or uh as like a hired hand for other bands or when does writing you know when are you able to monetize 
the whole writing music on a computer or uh, when are you how are you able to monetize you know these new adventures in music like you sent me that clip or that uh, file for the long goodbye more about this long goodbye file of yours that I, you didn't write it but I believe you arranged it and it's been well, used several thousand times explain to me kind of your your philosophy about the long goodbye yeah um, so you know I mentioned that I did some work before uh, using Creative Commons uh, licenses and I mm-hmm. think they're the only copyright or as I call them copy wrong that uh, makes yeah. sense and that you can assign whatever terms you want, commercial or attribution or non-commercial, et cetera, et cetera, to them. And I really like that idea because uh, copy wrongs really don't mean much in the, in the uh, Internet you know, world mm-hmm. right now because anybody mm-hmm. can grab anything and use it, and good luck trying to trace them down. Right. So in Long Goodbye, uh, the, the melody was written by uh, Dr. Richard Bollinger. Uh, he is a... Uh, uh, he's the head of the electronic music department at Berkeley, but he's all, and he's also a very serious uh, modern American composer. Mm-hmm. He had a suite that he uh, contributed to the Berkeley uh, Free Music Project, which is uh, Creative Commons license. Anybody can go up there, take a, a small piece of the suite, and do whatever they want. They can rearrange it or use it, but they have to give him an attribution, and they can't make money off of it. And that's, mm. that's the license applied by Creative Commons. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a part of one of his suites and uh, a beautiful cello part that's actually played by the son of Philippe, who is uh, a tremendous cellist. Uh, and I rearranged it a little bit, and I orchestrated it with uh, Ambiras, which is an instrument I play uh, commonly known mm. here in the States as a thumb piano, but it it's like calling a, an accordion a stomach piano, and I don't really go, go along with it. Uh, so I did that, and, and I remixed it, and you know, it was pretty short. It was like a, a minute and a half, and, and I was mm-hmm. on a site where a lot of the stuff was going up, but I put it up, and I, I didn't really think uh, anything of it. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, it, it, it kind of it, – I hate to use the term it went viral, but it really busted right. out, and, and I was getting stuff from the New York Times and international – Herald Tribune were the first ones to use it. There was a crisis, you know, there's a crisis in Calais right now with the immigrants uh, trying to get um, over into England, right, from France, Mm -hmm. and they're all Mm -hmm. living in the the countryside. Well, there was a similar thing like this when when, uh, it came out. So there was an article about that, and they used this in the background, and I I was just blown over. I had hundreds of thousands of people listening to this every day. That's crazy. yeah, it is crazy. And then from then on, it just it just completely went nuts. So I set up a, a, 
you know, a Google search every day and, and put uh-huh. that in. And it, it's been used like hundreds of times right now. But and you don't see anything from this, correct? No, Is that because, because you posted it on this site? It, maybe they use it because it's free. If they had to pay you well, for it, they wouldn't, right? That's that's one way of looking at it. Um, I mean, Richard, uh, Dr. Bollinger posted mm-hmm. it as part of the free Berkeley Free Music Program. Now, I can't take his little part and rearrange it and go, oh, yeah, I just wrote that. I mean, that's right, not true. The, I, yeah. I follow, I like Creative Commons. I mean, I follow their, mm-hmm. their spirit, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's always the argument with this thing, like you said, uh, oh, well, it's free, you know, but this this is sort of like a really good piece of music. It's a very short piece of yeah, music, but it's, sure. it's it's powerful. So, you know, <laughs> I started this, this Google search, and, you know, I, I and I really did start turning up stuff that, that people were using it for commercial purposes. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's like in the back of travelogues. I mean, it was in the back of a wow. travelogue to visit New Zealand. I mean, it was like, you can't do Crazy. this. Did you read the, Did you read what this is? You know, uh-huh. you can't do this. So, uh-huh. but people do it anyway. I mean, it, it's you know, the analogy is is what John? It's it's it's. You can go on a site and download any album in the world, and and the downloads are ninety nine cents, and the servers mm-hmm. are in Estonia or someplace. Right. What's the difference? You know, I mean, you're not getting yeah. paid for that. They're, they're not getting paid for it. That people yeah. are just throwing this stuff up. Huh. So, out of this thing, I got work, and and like I, I was saying before, I, I started getting letters from people. Um, oh, you know, one was, dear sir, could you please cut out the cello part? It's too sad. And 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 I, I mean, I thought about that, and I had a good laugh about it, and then I actually did it for the guy, and and I made it. Oh, payment, you did. You know? Oh, oh excuse me. Yeah, I mean for sure. It's okay. like really, you want me to, to to just have these embarrassed? I'll, you know, I'll do that. How much are you going to pay me? You know, what I mean, so he paid me a little bit, but I mean, wow. can you imagine? And I'm not putting myself in the no. same category, although I think Dr. Bollinger might be, like someone sure. calling up, you know, Chopin and going, well, yeah, you know, the viola, right. but no, take that right. out. It doesn't right. fit in with the cooking show, you know. I'm trying yeah. To <laughs> We're trying to sell oregano, and we could use a little less. Yeah, a little less viola, chief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. it, 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 so you under you understand what I'm saying here. So sure, I, sure. I, yeah, I uh, I do, and I still believe in it. I I still believe that's the only copyright that's that's viable. I mean, anybody can do anything, obviously, with music. I can't sue anybody. I mean, what, sure. what am I going to? I'm not Warner Brothers. If I was Warner Brothers, like I said, right. <laughs> you, Warner Brothers can sue somebody and burn their house down. You know? Yeah. Me, yeah, I can true. I can write them an email and they'll just ignore it and and eventually it'll go away or something. And you know, but they're, this the same thing. What are you going to write an email to somebody in Estonia and say, oh, mm-hmm. don't put that Pez out, take that Pez yeah. band album down? You know, it, it doesn't yeah. work. It's 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 well, gone. But conversely, so maybe there's nothing you can do about that part, but has it led to greater visibility or further job? I mean, is your name on this? Do people I, – I don't know since it's sort of interstitial music, basically, right? Does it yeah. uh, Does it get your name out there at all? Does it give you any oh, sort yeah. of reputation or reckon- – it does. Okay, so it does oh, – it sure. has sort of helped you from a work perspective greatly, yeah. even though you aren't necessarily um, – uh, making impact or or making money or capitalizing off of it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's whether or not they anybody wants to pay. I mean, people pay sure. you right now whatever it's worth. So, yeah. I mean, I've gotten things. I did a a little piece for a um, a, a great documentary about the wines of the Catalonia, and oh. and it was like 
they they love they love this thing. They want to use this. And do you have anything else? And it's like, yeah, here's here's. So, but I can't do Great. this for free. And they went. I understand. So things like that popped in. That, good. That really good. So this this whole evil word, you know, the whole evil e word, the exposure uh-huh. <laughs> word, yeah. um, actually worked in a little bit of this. But I'm not good. I'm not like a commercial music guy either. I mean, I don't. Uh-huh. I, I've had I've had offers to produce commercial music, you know, oh, do something like that. Give me, give me 20 of those, you know, give me 20 uh-huh. long goodbyes. Give me 50 of them and we'll pop them in and we'll put them in libraries. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't that's not what I do. You know, it's not what yeah, I'm about. Yeah. I, I like okay. to write original music and play. Sure. That's what I do. So. Okay. But it <laughs> is benefiting you somehow having that out there. Oh, for sure. For sure. Plus good, I get to good. talk to okay. you about it. So. True. True. Okay. <laughs> That's the biggest benefit of all. Let's be honest. Well, yeah, so, yes, John. So far, it is. You know. So you know, right, I'm, right. I'm, you okay. Know, but yeah. So that's a long goodbye, anyway. Some things I can say. Well, I want to. I want to work on a project like like the soundtrack I'm working on now that I was telling you about is a a, mm-hmm. a movie about a great doctor, uh, Doctor Quentin Young. Um, he's the he's in his 90s as a Chicago doctor, and he was the physician that started uh, Physicians for a Single Payer. And I, I, I do this for free. I mean, I, I love this guy. I mean, I actually think yeah. what, what he's doing is like one of the most important things you could possibly do. So there, there's that. And then, then other little projects like that um, with people in Europe, with, with people that mm-hmm. are doing podcasts, you know, a tutorial podcasts. Interesting. If I'm in with the right group of people, like um, the people at Creative Commons, um, I, I do music for tutorials for a great software program called GIMP that is a free hmm. source. Uh, it's like Photoshop, but it's free source, right? Okay. Well, they need they need music for this. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So, and they so are you. But, but I got to, like, I, it's it's hard. I don't have an agent. I, I don't go and dig it uh-huh. out. And I don't do library music either. And a lot of people are, have gone into this because so much music is needed and people just do library music and then you sure. know, somebody goes online and leases it for 20 cents. And I'm not interested in doing yeah. that. Yeah, so okay. I'm, I'm trying to be picky, and I, and I know what you're trying to say. I guess the answer is, I I, I try to pick what I really want to do without sacrificing my integrity of it and still right. make money. And it's a balance. But, it really is. But you had to have gotten your name out there at some point, though, right? I mean, no. Yeah. What? How did you stumble into this second phase of your career? How did um, that get going? You know? Because because I got really in one well. It's sort of like playing bass too. It's like I really got interested in the way, like how a bass works mm. in music. You know what the bass does, and I really like the sound of it. The same thing is, is like I, I really like composing, and if I could compose using this this weird new stuff on a computer, it was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I got I got into it. I was attracted to it. You know, I was attra- mm-hmm. attracted to the possibility of it. I guess that's the best answer I have. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So you're uh, you're. I mean, so you're right now. You you make up. I'm guessing your um, you pay your bills. We'll just keep referring pay my to bills. it like that. Pay your bills through the occasional Pez band and or off Broadway shows, and I imagine there's only maybe a couple of those a year. Oh and, yeah, but, there's, but but I also play with with other people too, so it's not like you know. Oh, I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm limited to that, but I don't okay. play with like I said the the you know the the 495th uh, Beatle. Yeah. Cover band or whatever. I hate right. that stuff. I hate yeah, I do too. I do too. I really do. It, I don't care how good they are. As a matter of fact, the better they are, the worse, the less I like them. You know? <laughs> That's kind of true. I know what you mean. I get invited by friends to go see like a Pink Floyd tribute band or Neil Diamond or whatever, and I just think, why would you spend your money on that? 
You know, it's not I, I don't a real get it. thing. I, I don't get I, it. Yeah. You know, so I what really if they're good musicians? The albums are perfectly fine if that's what you, you know. I don't need to spend yeah. my money on it. I just don't get it. Any more yeah. than I get bands like Foreigner who go out on tour and there's not a single original member, you know. It's right. just right. they put the name. Anyway, I don't get that either. So, yeah. Kind of the same so thing. Are you, yeah, it really is. They're the same thing. They're just marketed differently. Um, so in your career now, I mean, you yep. you know, Doing the, making composing the incidental music for various media productions. I guess that's probably the yeah. So documentaries, documentaries, okay. different media stuff like that. Um, and and then I'm I'm so I've got that that movie. And and this is not a lightweight thing. I mean, there, there's some money being put in this movie, and I'm really happy Good. to be part of it. Um, I've I've been working, like I said, with a couple of people in Europe that have different projects. But people in Europe are more into the free source way of looking at things and they they realize mm. that artists have to be paid as well so yeah. we're we're balanced out here you, you know i'm still running into that oh yeah i'm gonna do it on spec mm. and it's like no right. we're not spec. you yeah. know and and if, if people say that to me i'm i like i just hang up the phone it's like i, I don't work like that you know i don't need it yeah. you know really uh, um one interesting thing i i'm going to be doing and and uh, i hope to expand on it is that this summer um so I've been doing this collaboration online with people like in Europe and in the UK for a long time. Some of them up uh, like as long as 15 years, hmm. and I've never met them. I've never oh, sat yeah. in the same room and had a beer or played with them. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. this guy and I do. I was working with in Budapest. Um, he was like, John, you know, please come to Budapest. We'll put you up. You know, we'll get gigs for you. Whatever you want. You know. And I was like, right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come there and. I really want to go. And then he died. So He died? Got, yeah, he died. It was like, you know, people get up to be my age. It's like, yeah, he died on the banks of the Danube. I mean, how fitting. And oh, it's my like, gosh. So, so it's like, you know what? I, I have all these other – I consider them friends. I mean, I'm sure you know people the same way. Everybody knows people sure. like that now, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But these are musicians I work with. I mean, like like I can point to, I said, oh, well, I played bass on this, and you did the guitar, or you sang. You know, it's like – Wow, we made this piece of music. We never met each other, or, or even right. had a hamburger or something. And, and right. I said, "Screw it, man! I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this." So I'm lining it up right now. That there's like five or six people. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to Amsterdam and London and, and wow. Poznan and and a couple other places, and I'm gonna go play with these people. Good. And that's Good. what I'm gonna do this summer. Yeah, that's gotta be like, fulfilling. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 cool. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, when you look back on your career, all these, I mean, it's been going for 45 years now, and right. you've always done what you wanted to do. That's yeah. got to be, I mean, you got to see that as a huge blessing, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to I'm just trying to, yeah, be as, as, like, have as much integrity. I mean, I don't, it's sure. not like I, I'm, I'm like, you know, absolutely pure on this, and it's not like I've never taken right. a gig that I've kind of had to hold my nose. Of course. Like, the last time I played for Obama, I really had to do that. And, and I, uh, when did you play? Did I say, well, I guess I Chicago. That? You probably played for him a couple times, maybe. Did I say that? I can't believe it. You did say that. that. <laughs> do you have an Obama story? Well, I I do. Um, one thing that that you know you could tie it in. I mean, it really ties in with just what I was saying about long goodbye and about free source and sharing. Um, free source and sharing is really diametrically opposed by international entertainment corporations right mm -hmm. i mean they mm -hmm. hate that and 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 if you look at the tpp i mean they're, they're they're stacking that so that they're completely protected 
those entertainment corporations, for the most part, they don't pay you either. I mean, they don't pay you any more than the the guy that has a server in Estonia, right? And I, and yeah. I like Estonians, but I'm just using it for an example. Right. Sure. So my example with that, you know, and as far as Obama, and Obama is is the neoliberal government here. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, as I say, a few years back, um, I was starting to do because I, I do session work and I do sideband work. I play bass and, and synthesizer and things of that nature. A few uh, years ago, I was starting to do work. Um, with a pretty well-known, internationally, you know, uh, known uh, blues guy from Chicago. So he, we were kind yeah. of feeling each other out to see if I was going to work with him or not. Okay. And that was right before Obama got reelected. So the campaign is is going. And mm-hmm. uh, he asked me if I wanted to do a fundraiser in Chicago, which was going to be for the little people. Although mm-hmm. the little people had to contribute fifteen dollars, fifteen hundred dollars right. a head. <laughs> Oh, you know, a, a little, little in their world, have, maybe. Yeah, right. just, just a little. So yeah. only a few few hours in the afternoon, and all. I, and in my career since you know whatever 1972, I played for Nixon, I played for McGovern, I played for Carter, I played for Bush the Elder, and and I always got like really good pay for those gigs, you know. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, ah, why not? I'll I'll do this. So uh-huh. Blues Boy says uh, the only thing is there's no money. It's for exposure. And then he he goes on to explain that the campaign was was funding way behind Romney and they needed every dime. And of course we know now, John, that that, sure. that you know that, that was bullshit, right? I mean, it's yeah, they, they were finding way ahead. But this was their yes. excuse for weaseling out of paying us whatever. Wow. So against my better judgment, you know, and I'm I'm still playing with the blues guy, seeing if I'm going to do this or not. The event it's in this huge fancy ballroom downtown. Uh, Chicago Cultural Center, and because it was in there, it was all union staff, right? So there's there's mm-hmm. dressers, there's hikers, there's there's stagers, and everything else. They all got paid. I mean, that labor bill alone must have been like hundred thousand dollars or more. Not to mention all the mm-hmm. caterers and mm-hmm. I mean all sure. that stuff. They all got paid, but the DNC couldn't find what a thousand dollars for the musicians, That's right? Nuts. Because because we're running way behind. Yeah. So That's the guy nuts. goes. Yeah, the guy goes, okay, so the compensation as as pitched by the the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, was was Uh you get to meet the president and get a picture with him. (laughs) Oh, then it's all worth it, right? If I can have a picture with Obama, then I don't need to be paid. Yeah, and so there's a long story. I mean, like, you know, we played a set, and and like I I said, I played – for these guys before, I, you know, the Secret Service dogs sniff your amp. I mean, there's a whole weird protocol for this. But in between sets, the Secret Service guy comes in, okay, come on, fellas, you know, you're going to go meet the president. And uh-huh. we go through this weird labyrinth in, in the building, and finally they, they open the door, and there he is. And he's, hey, guys, you know, great. Get the picture, <laughs> snap, and then wham, gone. You know, like like that was it, because there were 500 people lined up to meet him sure. who had paid sure. To meet him. Do you understand this, uh, right? Yes. So, like, I, like I'm saying, John, there's some guys who are in, you know, Estonia. Again, I got nothing against Estonia. There's some people <laughs> right. in, in Estonia <laughs> illegally selling downloads, uh-huh. and then there are some people in Washington D.C. kind of like yes. doing the same fucking thing. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that's my yes. Obama story. I'm sticking okay. to it. And I, I, anyway, um. That's yeah, great. so I mean, it's not like I, I I've never done that, or I still continue to do it because if someone really holds up a big piece of change and I need, you know, sure. to change the tires in the car, right. I, yeah, I, yeah, I probably will do it. But we are going to make I rent. Really try to, 
Yeah, I, I try to toe the line on this as, as close as Good. possible. You know, balance okay. It. Anyway. So are you someone now, like, I mean, are you busy enough where you've got several projects going on at one time and you're working on this movie soundtrack and then you've also got this other thing over here and this thing over here? Or yeah. is it sort of like one big thing at a time and you, when that's done, you're on to the next project? No, 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 no. It's all, it's, uh, it's freelance hell. I mean, like, oh, like, okay. you know, you're always juggling. I mean, uh, people talk about the gig economy, man. I've been doing that since 71, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. That's yeah. true. I guess you've been used to yeah. the, this. Is your been your life, right? You've yes. This has been your yes. livelihood. Well, except, you know, for the ten minutes I was a rock star or whatever. But yeah. I mean, outside of that, it's like, hey, you know, I I don't know how long this is going to last. And even if right. you're in a band, it's like, what what does that mean? So I'm trying to become more of like an independent agent, where I I go and play with people. And the music I'm really attracted to playing the last couple of years is more in the free jazz. Um, mm. Not not even free jazz. It's like free music pool. And there's a yeah. lot of musicians I want to work with, a lot of whom are, are in Chicago are excellent players oh, cool. that, Great. that I'm going to be working with. But Great. there again, it's like, yeah, that, there's there's a lot of money in that. So. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, yeah. Now, let me, I mean, let's go personal for a minute. Are you married? Yeah. I'm married to a, a wonderful uh, woman who is uh, an artist, as a matter of fact. So our temperaments okay. are, you know. Uh, I was going to say. We know, what, we know what's going on here. It's not yeah. like I'm married to a CFO of... Uh, Okay. Entire company or something. Like that. Yeah, I was going to say it, I would have to think that an understanding wife uh, makes some of this stuff a lot easier, right? Someone who and gets a, it yeah. and knows that this is this is just the name of the game. Yeah, and I'm an understanding husband. I mean, I, we both sure. understand what what being an artist is in this culture and uh, you know during this time, and, and it's 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 not easy. I mean, I, I yeah. don't want to say it's not easy. It's really fulfilling, but a lot of people that that. I don't know. I could be a half-assed divorce attorney in Cook County mm-hmm. and make twenty times as much money, but I wouldn't be happy. Right. Sure, no. Um, and my daughter is, is, a, is a killer. I mean, my daughter right now is a, is a um, she's like a, a concert promoter in Brooklyn. Oh. I mean, she's oh yeah, you mentioned really that. becoming yeah, she's really becoming successful. So hi, Rachel, is your proud dad again? But um, awesome, that's yeah. great, yeah. very cool. Okay, well look, let's. Uh, you know, only a couple more minutes here. I, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to go back to some rock stories. So, a oh, couple things. I mean, I always sort of end these things with a with a hand, you know handful of the same questions. I mean, tell me, tell me some of the highlights when you look back when you were a rock star there. However, briefly in the '70s, did you ever get to meet anybody? Did you meet a hero? Did you play in a, an especially amazing gig? Did you hear yourself on the radio? Walk me through those amazing life-changing moments that um, you still think about. One one thing that I I do remember, and I don't, you know, it's like I don't know, John. I hope I'm not coming off as a curmudgeon or something, but like the the, the whole rock thing isn't like there's more important things. <laughs> Interesting. Rock okay, well, but, no, that's great. So when you so look like, back on oh, your career, the rock star period is not the highlight. Of your oh, life? No, 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 not not in any terms. I mean, uh, uh, oh, fascinating. Uh, I mean, I met when when I was recording in L.A. at the record plant. I met James Jamerson. Now James, oh James, wow, bass player from Motown. And yep. at the time, at that time, you know, Barry Gordy had had pulled a thing where he pulled everybody out of Detroit and forced them to move to L.A. And James didn't want to go, and he was in bad shape. But I mean, I met him, and that was like, I mean. I, I, I was tongue-tied, man. I mean, I was like, that's, I, I, I yeah, couldn't even. Yeah, that would be amazing. I, you know, I, yeah. I said that. Um, 
when Big Guitars from, from Memphis, the first European tour, um, just kind of interesting. And, and here again, it's not a rock star story at all. I mean, w- the first tour, we were in Denmark, and uh, we were on a package tour with uh, the Jordanaires, mm-hmm. you know, Elvis's backup singers. Yep. Uh-huh. We're on the sure. bill. Charlie, Charlie McCoy, do you know who he is? I've heard that Charlie, name. Yeah. Well, he was, yeah, I mean, he was like the band leader of Hee Haw. He's a harmonica. Oh, right. But he's okay. a harmonica player that's like on every country hit in the 60s and 70s. But what most people really don't know is he was the bass player on Nashville Skyline and Blonde on Blonde. Oh, and so I met that. him and we played with him, and that was like, this is really cool, man. I mean, you know, yeah. Charlie Friggin McCoy. And Tony Sheridan was on the bill. Now, Tony Sheridan was the Beatles' mentor. He was from Hamburg in '59. Wow. He got he got them, and so here here big guitars from Memphis backing up friggin' uh, Tony Sheridan, and wow. that was very that's cool to that, you. <laughs> see that's what I great. mean? So it's like I don't care about meeting you know right. Gene Simmons or some bullshit. It's like wow, there's right. Tony Sheridan. Are you kidding? You know, like <laughs> James Jamerson. What you that's know? Like cool. these are the these yeah. are the real guys. You know, and so. That and, and meeting the real guys, I mean, meeting Howlin' Wolf, and, and I got to play yeah. uh, one night with uh, Hubert Sumlin, who was his guitar player. I mean, stuff like that. Those are the high yeah. points in, yeah. in okay. my, my cool. so-called career. I hear you have a really good Chuck Berry story. you got to tell me I, the Chuck Berry story. I don't, I don't know if my Chuck Berry story is really good or if it's average or <laughs> – I mean, because It sounds good to me. All right, all right. Then, you know, because we were talking about – before a little bit about brushes with the stars, and I was saying uh-huh. you know, Helen Wolf and Hubert Sumlin, Tony Sheridan, sure. and James Jamerson. But the guy I played with that most people know one night was Chuck Berry, and uh-huh. there really are thousands of people. I bet there are thousands of people who have done that. I, I really over the course yeah, of his, I believe it. You know, yeah, I think. He's so, so nomadic. He just swoops in, plays with whoever, and swoops back out. He probably, you're probably. And he's right. been playing since 1955. I mean, come yeah. on, you know, it's like yeah. so many yeah. thousands of people. So yeah. I, there were so many. I thought, you know, I was going to start a web page called "I Play with Chuck Berry." Ah, that'd be great. I'd love that. Okay, so I'm throwing Everyone this idea out, and whoever wants to do it, please go right ahead. But I'm not going to. But you could, you know, oh, Bruce fun. Springsteen played with Chuck Berry before sure. he got famous. You know, and that's, and that's oh, the wow. only thing actually that I have in common with Keith Richard. I mean, so there you go. <laughs> there you and, go. And a few vices, you know, but, but uh-huh. anyway, so uh, um, the thing is with Chuck is that, and all these people that have played with him, and it's the most famous thing about being a Chuck Berry sideman is that there's only one thing that he tells you. And, and it's when he says, when I lift my leg, you stop playing. And when I drop my leg, you go. And that's it. Okay. He doesn't tell you what key the song's in. He doesn't. He doesn't count them off. There's no mm-hmm. song list. There's no rehearsal. That's it. That's okay. the whole thing. So <laughs> anybody that you know, anybody, and I've talked to some people. Go, oh yeah, I play with Chuck Berry. He's like, really? So uh-huh. what did he tell you before you played? And they they don't say that. Then I know they're lying. Uh, <laughs> so okay. A, right. So the show shows in Chicago. Two sold out shows on the same night. Big place, fifteen hundred, two thousand seat place. Johnny Johnson, who's tremendous tremendous mm-hmm. piano player. He was Chuck's piano player on all the sure. hits. And he was the guy that a lot of people say, and I, and I think, uh, who supplied Chuck with the riffs. In other Probably. words, Chuck, uh, Johnny's, yeah, Johnny's right hand, I mean, if you listen to yeah. what he's playing on his right hand, Chuck copied that on the guitar, and, that, and that's mm-hmm. why that's where all that stuff came from. Yeah. So yeah. I was producing a guy at the time, and he was contracted to supply the backup band for Chuck. 
And I really do think that it's like Chuck invented rock music. I mean, you mm-hmm. you can take, make a lot of arguments to other people, but I think it was it was Chuck. So we go to the gig, um, we do the sound check. And there's no Chuck, but that's not that unusual. Mm-hmm. We go yeah. back to the dressing room, eat, yap, you know, blah blah blah. And showtime right. is supposed to be at eight, so it's like ten to eight, and there's no Chuck. He's not there. Okay. Stage stage manager gets us down to the stage. Goes, come on, he's on his way. And so we go up on stage. You know, we're got the our instruments <laughs> looking around because we haven't right. talked to anybody. It's like here we are. So one minute to eight, Chuck walks in with his guitar case from the cold and opens wow. it up on stage and pulls it out. And people go nuts. You know, it's like uh-huh. Chuck's here. You know, plugged yeah. in, and he's completely out of tune because he just took the guitar out of the cold case. I mean, sure. not, you know, but he doesn't tune. Yeah, doesn't bother. Bing, 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 you know, it's, oh, yeah, there's Chuck. Looks around, and he sees he sees us, and there was a guitar player that was part of the backup band. And uh-huh. the guitar player was so stoked. He This was like Chuck was his hero. He was home sure. practicing. Chuck Playing with an song. idol, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and so Chuck looks at the guitar player and yells, no guitar player, and then points him off the stage. no. The guy leaves. Yeah. Oh. So the guy looks at him. I mean, talking about, yeah, the, the kick dog style. So the guy looks at him, and, and, and he's looking at him in disbelief. He couldn't believe he set off. And Chuck looks back at him and goes, get off now. So oh. the poor guy just slinks away. Then Chuck kind of gets us around, and he goes, gives us that instruction. When I lift my leg, uh-huh. you know, stop. When I drop my leg, go. And then he starts playing. Like, okay. Okay. What tune is this? Is what the curtain even up? I, is this happening no in curtain. front of? This is, there's all no curtain. This is a huge open stage, oh. and and so this is all like <laughs> going on okay. in real time. <laughs> yeah, real time. Crowds right there, yeah. and you're just and now getting to know up. Chuck Berry. Yeah, and there's Chuck. You know, he's So yeah. about 20 seconds into, I mean, it was really fast. He lifts his leg. And the stage was real crowded with a back line. There were two sets of back lines, and there was a grand piano. I mean, it was it was a mess. And mm-hmm. the drummer was up on a riser, and there's, you know, a, you look at a drummer on a riser, and there's all the drums in front. He can't see what's going on. So mm-hmm. Chuck, Chuck lifts his leg, and I see it because I'm, like, watching him. Like, like okay, this is, this is the only thing he told me to do something. Right, right. And, and he lifts his leg, and the drummer keeps playing. So everybody stops ah. except for the poor drummer. And Chuck Uh-oh. turns around, and I don't know how much swearing I can do on this show. You can say whatever you want. It's got so an explicit Chuck tag. Chuck turns around and starts yelling, you fucking asshole, quit <laughs> watching the girls. You watch me, motherfucker. I mean, he really went into it. Oh, my God. So, so the drummer looks at me, and this drummer is a really good friend of mine, and we played in rhythm oh, sections a lot guy. together. Yeah. Oh, poor so, guy. So then he says all this shit, then he turns his back, and he drops his leg. He lifts his leg and drops it again and starts playing. And well, now we're supposed to play again. And he does the uh-huh. Chuck Berry walk to the other side of the stage where the grand piano is. And I know this is going to be trouble because he's going to go behind the piano player. And, uh-huh. and by now, he's just baiting the drummer. He goes behind the, the piano, and I see him lift his leg. But the drummer, the drummer couldn't even see the top of his head. Sure, So sure. it's like, and that was it. Uh-oh. He goes ballistic. He comes up. He stops playing. The whole band kind of grinds to a halt. He comes over to my side of the stage. There's the monitor mixer, and he yells at the monitor mixer, "Get rid of these guys! I want a new band." <laughs> like, a whole like band. The monitor mixer would. Oh yeah, here's one. You know. <laughs> yeah right. We got a backup right over here. Yeah, yeah. We'll okay, just you guys get down. Switch them out. Get no big deal. 
Oh, my gosh. So then he calms down a little bit, and like you said, this is all at the open. This is all in real time. The audience is wow. by now is like, wow, maybe there's something wrong with the sound system, or you know, yeah. they can't figure it out. So Chuck comes down, and then he does his bit again, but this time he's in the middle of the stage, and the drummer catches it, and then he turns around to the drummer and says something like, you know, it's about fucking time. All right, let's let's keep playing. Uh-huh. So I don't know what songs we play. I mean, we played Chuck Berry songs, I think. Sure, right. But I know we played. They're probably so out of tune and shambolic oh, and whatever they don't even but a lot of the songs sound the same so you know yeah but i know we played that the a bob seger tune about old-time rock and roll i mean it was like, oh what? you did you played that oh wow yeah it's like are we actually playing a bob seger song with chuck berry okay sure you know is that <laughs> is that the chuck middle watched. is that the middle eight from maybelline in the middle of oh be good? wow oh i guess it is okay sure mm-hmm. and um like I said, I I played with some uh, really good, great ch- uh, blues men who were born in the Delta and moved to Chicago. Um, sure. Uh, quite a few of them. And that's the thing with Chuck is that, that when he started playing, and I was right next to his amp, he sounded like one of these guys, man. I mean, like mm. his timing was all kind of wonky and he was out of tune. Yeah. I really liked I liked that. That's like rock, that's what rock music sounds like to sure. me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, yeah. So that was, that was kind of cool. Anyway, he's starting to look at his watch. It's, it's it's like we're about 40 minutes in, and we're in the middle of some tune, and, and he's looking at his watch, and he goes, uh-huh, and he just walks off stage, and he unplugs his guitar and throws the chord on the stage, and the three of us are still playing. It's like, okay. <laughs> I guess the set's over. <laughs> wow. That's so, it. Yeah, and, and so I go to the middle of the stage, and I had my Chuck Berry moment where I was Chuck Berry for five seconds. I lifted up my bass. I looked at the other two. I lifted my leg, and we all uh-huh. stopped on a dime. <laughs> so I got to be Chuck Berry for five seconds there. For five was, seconds right there in front of all those people. And the, and the crowd goes nuts. They they love it. You know, it's sure. like, yeah, and, and, and he wouldn't come in. So before the second show, um, I don't. I got this weird part about him hanging out. Well, I'll, I'll try to put this. Discreetly. So before the second show, he was we he was hanging out backstage with with kind of like a white trash hooker. I don't know what. The, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a a woman, right. uh, yeah, the, an escort, uh-huh. um, okay. who he was introducing to everybody as Mrs. Barry. When we know uh-huh. who, there really is a Mrs. Barry. Yeah, but, there is one back there somewhere. Yeah, but this is I think is the in joke here. You know, like okay. this is this is tonight's Mrs. Yeah. Barry. I, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. Who who knows? I've talked to other people and they've met Mrs. Barry too. That you know what I mean? <laughs> there's, there's one in every port, right? There's a new Mrs. Yeah, Barry well, pretty much everywhere. Well, you you would hope so. So yeah. we start the second show, he does the leg routine. By this time everything's fine, you know, mm-hmm. we're done. Play the show. He did he did do songs like he played one song and one key in the first show. He did something completely different in the second show. But it's like, okay, mm. we're through it. We're watching the leg. We're getting off. You know, The audience is going crazy. 40 minutes later, and we're done. Okay. And we go to the dressing room. He talks to the promoter. promoter puts 35000 cash or, or somewhere around that in a briefcase. He had handcuffed to his wrist. Oh. And then he took Mrs. Barry, and they split. And then the promoter it. came and pays us $35 a piece. <laughs> $35? Yeah. So in other words, one thousandth of what oh. Chuck got. But that's <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, part of what we're talking about here, John, is like money and what musicians make yeah. sometimes. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, that's that's, that's what the they, crux that's of this podcast. These these reality. This is a 
these are reality checks for people. I don't think they realize what what all yeah. gets involved sometimes. Yeah, that is incredible. So the next the next morning, at about five o'clock in the morning, and I got home about three because I I live way out in the uh-huh. sticks. Um, okay. In Chicago, there were a couple of of national radio creeps, you know, like like kind of like the start of Howard Stern, but this is like '92. Okay. So they're okay. like those shock jockey asshole mm-hmm. guys, you know, you know, yeah. the, the type. And this guy or his sidekick was a friend of the guitar player uh, who got booted off the stage before mm-hmm. he started. And he wanted mm-hmm. to know what happened because uh, it turned out the, uh, a guy reviewed it for the local paper and said the backup band sucked. And it was like, oh. this is a little weird. Yeah. So he wanted to know what happened, and I told him to call me back. And then he goes, and he did, and he, he goes into thing. How how could you know what happened? How could this Chuck Berry do this? Yeah. You know, and I and I said, you know, really, dude, if it wasn't for Chuck Berry, nobody in the rock mm-hmm. entertainment industrial complex would fucking have a job. You know what I mean? Sure. Especially sure. this guy. Especially yeah. this guy. So then he kind of like like backed off. It, it was weird. Well, anyway, wow. that's my Chuck Berry's. <laughs> that is awesome. That is so awesome. I love it. I love it. I don't it. think it's. I don't think it's like like all that you know like unique or anything else. I mean, I read a thing with Bruce well, Springsteen, but, you know, where he said the same thing, or, or you know, uh, he was yeah. trying to punch out Keith Richards. If you ever watched the movie Hail Hail, is that the name? Oh, of the I've movie? seen it. Yeah, Hail Hail Rock and Roll. I've seen it a couple Hail, times. Hail Hail Rock and Roll. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you get the vibe right there. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, and yeah. I'm sure that's him on his best behavior because he knows he's being filmed. But yeah, the, I, his the there are legendary stories about his true behavior behind the scenes. Yeah, and this is kind of like a trench level, you know, like mm-hmm. story about that. But I mean, sure. the, the, this Those is are the good with, ones. Yeah, I guess Those they are the good ones, man. <laughs> that's great, man. Well, and that's uh, a, you and I share that I think in common because that goes back to again one of the motivators for the podcast is you know we've heard the Fleetwood Mac story a million times. We've heard the mm-hmm. Kiss story a million times. I want to know about the little guys that I love that deserve more attention. I want to talk yeah. to those guys. Those yeah. are the legends to me, you know. Wow. The people like Off-Broadway and whoever else, those, those are people who impact my life more than, you know, rumors or Born in the USA. or Not that's, that I don't love those things too, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? That's really nice of you to say that, John, and and it's it's really important for you to say that because I mean I always tell people like to me I'm did you ever see the Woody Allen movie Zelig? <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I've referenced that movie in a couple of podcasts, and every time I do it, I can tell the person I'm talking to doesn't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, because I mean, yeah, I've, it's I've, the person who's just sort of chameleonic in these various you know big events. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, is that is that is that like Gene Simmons? There's Gene Simmons. Who's the guy in the corner? Oh, it's John. Right. You know? It's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how's it doing? Yeah. You know, how's it going yeah. there? It's, I don't yeah. know. And, and, I want to hear people, that guy's story. Yeah. Yeah, and and for anybody, you know, like, and that's the other thing is like people I listen to and, and like people our age, if, if you know, they start getting into like the importance of, you know, their their ten minutes in the uh, the, mm-hmm. the spotlight. Man, I mean, forget about it. If they don't have a sense of humor and sense of like, yeah. exactly where they sit in the whole mess, <laughs> I, I yep. don't want to hear them because it's it's I terrible. Bet. I mean, yeah. how many have you done like that? You just end up feeling sorry for the guy, like, whoa, dude, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I know what you mean. Luckily, maybe people put a, put their best foot forward when they talk to me. I've done about forty of these interviews now. And um, and probably because I've only really sought out people I love, 
I mean, mm-hmm. they could be garbage collectors now, and I don't care. Sure. I want them to know how much I love them and yeah, how much they mean really to me. Nice you know what I mean? That's so, really well, nice sure. So, um, you know, everyone so far has been very nice hmm. and very giving of their time, considering I'm just a nobody with a podcast. But Yeah, um, well, unlike me, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you're not somebody, John. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, uh, considering I'm nobody, it's like, oh, right, well, well, let's go, governor. You know, like, man, I mean, you know, Christ almighty. I was reading reading some of these these things in the Ken Sharp book, you know, and I really like that and everything, but I'm reading some of the interviews and shit, man. It's like, wow, dude, you know, like, 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 do you realize where where you are in the whole, you know, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in, the, in the whole big picture here, uh, You're right, you know, right, that's yeah, important, you know, that's, that's yeah. Really that high. Wow, you have such a you have. I gotta say though, of everyone I talked to, your perspective on all of this is completely unique. I mean, not oh. to, not to say that some people who, because I've talked to, uh, you know, half a dozen people maybe that have nothing to do with music anymore, and they're yeah. fine with their lives. They don't really look back with a lot of regrets. But you can tell that a lot of them do look back fondly. Not that you don't, but you're just so healthy about it. It's like, ah, oh, that was one thing. I got there's. It's one of a million things that make up my life, and some yeah. of them matter more than others. It was really fun, and it, it was really good. Sure. Like I said at the end of the chapter on Off Broadway in the Sharp Book, it's like what, you know, you you get your base and beer and cigarette handed to you by a roadie. You go out and mm. work for 20 minutes and open for UFO or some other thing, and then you get off stage and someone propositions you for sex, and then you wake up the next day. And, I mean, that's, that's a rough life, man. I mean, that's, that's terrible. That's hard. How could, how could anyone suffer through this, you know? I mean, Oh, that's the best. Right? I mean, but, but, yeah, so, but, and then you get people, like, at the same time who don't get that, and they're talking about, yeah. like, all their lyrics, and it's like, no, man, you know, come on now. Yeah, yeah, we all know why you did this. Yeah, yeah. snap it up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, own it. All right, there you go, John Pasden. Is that guy entertaining or what? I love that guy. So many crazy stories, and you, you could tell that he was just getting going. He's got, like, a million more. You would just have to kind of set him down and have him tell him to you. Fascinating guy. I really love that one. John is still so involved in music, and he's got like a million projects going on, one of which, get the name of this artistic endeavor of his, Meet Xylophone. I don't know what that is. Sounds weird. But that's the music you're listening to right now. It's kind of more his experimental work with a group called Meet Xylophone. He's all over the place. Thanks for listening. Please find us on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Go back into the archives. We tend to focus on people who might be seen as more obscure, but maybe there's someone in there that's in a band that you recognize that you've always been curious about. Go listen to those. And if you like the format, then go listen to the ones you don't know. I guarantee you, you'll recognize a few things and you'll like the stories that we tell. Write us a review, good or bad, I don't care. Find us on Facebook, like our page. You can stay in contact with us that way. You can find us on Twitter at the Hustle Pod. You can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com if you want me to try and find someone for you. And we have a playlist on YouTube. Just search for the Hustle Podcast Playlist. Subscribe, and we post videos on there of the of our guests. Kind of uh, maybe some back in the day, maybe some are more recent. Huge thanks to Jan Makevich for producing this podcast. This one took some work. And I'm really grateful for him that he did it. Stick around. We'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.